0: Difference for you and me is they paid their own price. For you and for me, Jesus has paid it all. The price has been paid to bring us into permanently this promise. Uh, we put a question out this week on the church's Instagram page How many people like to know what is, you know, how much do you like to know what is coming uh, in your life? On a scale of one to ten, uh, the answer was a solid nine, nine and a half. Uh, people like to know what's coming uh, in their life. I think to a degree, whether it's, you know, nine, nine and a half out of ten, to a degree, we all do. We like to know what's coming uh, in life. Whether you are a super detailed uh, whiteboard in the kitchen kind of planning person or whether you more just kind of go with the flow, uh, all of us really to a degree, like to know what is coming. And there's a really simple example. Last week, I talked about a, a Bible teaching a trip that we're going to take to Athens in early 2023. Nobody's going to book flights and sign up for that if you don't know uh, what we're going to do. You're not going to book a flight to come on a trip with us uh, if you don't know what, what we're doing. Uh, nobody, nobody's going to do that. Before you moved uh, to Bahrain, I would guess you looked it up. I would hope you looked it up. I once met a guy who thought he was, uh, but that Bahrain was part of Malaysia, and he was really confused. <laughs> really confused when he got here, because <laughs> this is not Malaysia. It's quite far away from Malaysia. Uh, I guess you looked it up. What's it like? That guy needed to know where it, <laughs> where it is, <laughs> what your life's going to be like here, the kind of things that you can do. Uh, when you live here, can I go to church here? What's, it like? you know, what's my life going to be like in Bahrain? Because we've got this inbuilt sense that we do have a future. There, is, there are things laid out ahead of us. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has put eternity into our hearts. So We've got this inbuilt sense that there's more to come. And for all of us, to a different degree, we like to know what that stuff uh, is. And so because of that because of how we are made, because of how we are wired, verses like Jeremiah 29:11 are deeply loved by people. I used to have a boss <laughs> in a different job <laughs> that signed uh, all their emails. Name, brackets, Jeremiah 29:11. 11. Uh, it's not my boss in this job. Jesus doesn't email me, but in a different job, in a different time, I used to get emails from the boss that said, do this, do that, stop doing that. Uh, name of the boss, Jeremiah 29, 11. Because this is a deeply loved verse. And if you're not familiar with just the reference, oh, Jeremiah 29, 11. if your brain doesn't work with references, that's fine. Uh, mine doesn't. Uh, never went to Awana as a kid, <laughs> so my brain doesn't work with just references sometimes. If you're not Already overly familiar, this is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope, uh, which was a great juxtaposition to the emails that I used to get from the boss. So, <laughs> stop doing this. Have a great future. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it's a, it, it is a great verse and it is deeply, deeply loved by lots of people to the point where people will sign their name. At the bottom of an email with this reference. It is a deeply loved verse. And because we do want a future like this, I think we're all, we would be lying if we said we don't want a future uh, that is prosperous, that is filled with hope, full of good plans. And because we do want that future, all of us, no matter who we are, where we're from, this verse is so often shared, whether it's emails whether it's social media, uh, and it often comes with a, a view like this. You type it into Google, click on images. There's hundreds of these kind of things that life is a journey. Maybe it's over a bridge. It's a, life's going to be this beautiful thing. We're all going to live this beautiful, outdoorsy, kind of very healthy and robust countryside life now. Because God's got plans for us. Uh, <laughs> but is that, is that really what's going on? Is that what Jeremiah's talking about? A beautiful vista? This is what your life's going to be like. These are the plans that I've got for you. And so don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all with reading passages in the Old Testament like this, seeing what is going on, and thinking, yes, I want some of that. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great thing to do. Reading the Old Testament, seeing what was happening getting it, understanding what's going on in this place at that time, seeing uh, people who lived under the old covenant, they had a different way of relating to God, Uh, seeing what was happening, see how God worked in their lives, see how God moved among them and with them and for them, Uh, and then applying that to our lives is a great thing to do. Uh, But we can't just copy-paste these words uh, into our lives. I know what I've got planned for you, Says the Lord, I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I've got plans to give you a future filled with hope. But when we really get it, when we see what this means, when we see why and how God said this to his people, and we see how this is still applicable to us, it is even better, the promise, than just sticking it on a beautiful, beautiful uh, vista. So this morning then we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 Uh, We're going to see what's going on, we're going to see what was happening, and then we're going to see how it looks in our lives. So if you've got your Bible there, I'd love you to join me in Jeremiah 29. If you are kind of new to navigating the Bible, if you open it up in the middle, you're going to get to the Psalms, and keep going a bit, and we get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and we're going to Jeremiah 29. And our focus in particular is going to be verse 11, for I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. So we're going to see what was going on, what it means, and then what it looks like for us. First thing that we notice in this verse is that it begins with the word for, which is a bit of a giveaway that it doesn't just stand all by itself. If, we read, if we're reading the Bible or reading Scripture, we said we're going to ruin this summer how some of you read the Bible. When a verse starts with the word for, it's a consequence of something else. It, it is attached to something else. It doesn't just stand alone like a, a, a proverb. This is part of a passage. The word for is a marker that shows relationships between sentences. So straight away, we know that verse 11, beginning with the word for, I know the plans that I've got for you, is connected to something that has come before it. Verse 11 happens because of something before it. So let's go back. What does verse 10 say? For, the Lord says, only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over, will I again take up consideration for you then I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. So, 70 years of Babylonian rule, a gracious promise is going to be fulfilled and you're going to be restored to your homeland. That's not you and that's not me, is it? Silence. No, thank you, Luke. So glad you're back from your vacation. That's not us, is it? Oh my gosh. That's not ours, is it, Luke? That's not you and me. You and me are not under Babylonian rule. I might not be here in 70 years. So there's going to be 70 years of Babylonian rule. We're not, that's not us. We're not awaiting a return to our physical homeland from which we've been taken, not deployed. You've not chosen a job in another country. You've been removed as punishment and put in this place. You're going to be there for 70 years And then we're going to go back to the good times. But, as we've just said, verse 10 starts with the word for. So even that doesn't stand by itself. So we're going to go all the way back to the start of Jeremiah 29. Uh, We're going to read from verse 1. We're going to put some of it on the screen as we get there. So if you just maybe flick back a page to the start of 29, we read, The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter to the exiles nebuchadnezzar had carried off from jerusalem to babylon now again that is not you that's not me so any idea that we can just straight pull this verse out and hold on to it as like yes this is me i have a great future because jeremiah 29 says so we need to, we can drop that altogether this is who jeremiah is speaking to on behalf of the Lord. And he carries on. He says uh, this letter. It was addressed to the elders who were left among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, all the other people that were exiled in Babylon. He sent it after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the palace officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had been exiled from Jerusalem. And he, he goes on. He says, Look, "He sent it with these people, and it was this time." So he's framing it. This is who. This is when. This is where. This is how. And then the 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 the, the point. In verse 4, we'll put it up there now. This is what God, through Jeremiah, was saying to those exiles. Jeremiah 29, 4. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent into exile, to Babylon from Jerusalem. This is it. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry And have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they too can have sons and daughters. Grow in number, do not dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, for as it prospers, you will prosper. (laughs) Absolutely not us, is it? Uh, verse From verse 4, then, this bit, we see uh, God is giving a message to the exiles that have been sent to Babylon uh, about how they should live when they are there. These are very simple, very clear instructions. When you're there, build some houses, settle down. This is going to be 70 years. Plant a garden, eat what grows, carry on, Do, you know, live when you're there. Don't just exist and wait for this all to pass. And then in verses 8, 9, and 10, there is a countering of a false teaching that was spreading in the community. Uh, we can go back to Jeremiah 25 to kind of back this up. But in verses 8, 9, and 10, there's a countering of this false teaching. It's the people were being told, look, don't, don't worry. We're not going to be here for a long time. We'll be, we'll be back at home uh, before you know it. No need to build a house because this isn't going to last long. No need to plant a garden. This isn't going to last long. Don't even think about children, future. Just leave it. We're going home soon. Uh, Jeremiah says no. The Lord says no. In verse 10, uh, only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I again take up consideration for you. So the people are being told, don't worry. No need to unpack. This will be over soon. God says, no, only when 70 years are up. I'm going to take up consideration again for you. So in the meantime, you need to carry on living, not just existing. Then I'll fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. So after 70 years... The promises are still going to be there. And then that flows beautifully into verse 11. For I know the plans I've got for you. So don't worry. After 70 years, I am going to take you home. Because for I know the plans that I've got for you. And they're great. They're good. But in the meantime, get on with it. Live when you are there. Don't just exist and wait for this season of your life to be over. This is real life, 70 years. This is real life. Get down to living, loving, having all the things in your life that punctuate life. All those big events, marriages, births. Get down to living. Whilst you're there, don't just wait for this season of your life to be over, existing. There's an end coming that is so good. But in the meantime, don't just wait for it. Get down to it. And so there's a promise for the people of a hopeful end. These trying times, this, 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 uh, these very difficult circumstances that they're in now, there is a hopeful end, an end. There is an end to this difficult time, and it is a hopeful end. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, to these people is a wonderful truth. That look, you're going off into captivity because of your pretty disobedient behavior. You need to, this is the punishment for not being super obedient. So you've not had a lifetime full of blessings. You, that's how people, you know, we were relating to God. It's an old covenant. It's very different to how we think about things now. But look, they've not done this, so the punishment's on you, the people. 70 years of Babylonian rule. But Jeremiah 29:11 tells them That God has not forgotten about them and will never forget about them. They're going to be punished for what they've done, but they're still loved. It tells them that this uncomfortable and uh, reconciliatory season is not going to last forever. It's a very temporary thing. And at the end of it, there is a very hopeful end to this difficult season that you're about to enter. This is not going to last forever. And then the Lord through Jeremiah goes on to say, when, you, when, when we get back to it, when we restore all that the original intention for our relationship, you're going to call out to me. You're going to find me. I'm going to reverse your plight, take you home. We're going to dwell together, God and man. And it's going to be just how I designed things. Uh, to be so really, really simple then jeremiah two nine eleven is not you and me, but the promise is still available for you and me, but something is missing in the middle. It, this is not you and me here, but this promise is for you and me, and to answer that question how, how can a promise made to a specific group of people still be very true uh, for you and me? We're going to take a really, really quick detour uh, and just talk about the difference just for one or two minutes between interpretation of the Bible and application of the Bible. So when we read it, we need to know what's going on. We need to know who these people are, what it means to them, why they're going to Babylon, why it's 70 years, what this means to these people, for these people, in this place, at this time. What do these words mean? All those kind of things. How was there a lie? We need to know all these details to interpret, to understand what is going on. And as a consequence of that, there is is a correct interpretation of Scripture. There's one correct way to interpret Scripture, to understand what's going on. It means what it means. Uh, It says what it says. There's a correct interpretation of Scripture. So for the exiles, that's exactly what was happening. It was a message to them, for them, about them. So how is it still true for you and for me? And this is where we move to application. So we understand what it means. We know what's going on because we've read resources about history, about life, about the words that God spoke through. We know what's going on. Now we come to application. What does this look like in my life now, How does Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11 still ring very true for me here now? So we've seen what it means. We've looked at the language, the culture, the history, the, all that stuff. What do we do with this truth? And this is where God's truth, uh, properly interpreted, can look very different in our individual lives. One truth can look very, very different in different lives. So, Jeremiah 29.11 has an interpretation. It it says what it says. It means what it means. We've just talked through it. These people are going to settle down, accept that this is going to last a good few years, 70 years. They're going to get on with their life. They're going to live. They're not just going to exist. They're going to build houses. They're going to have weddings. They're going to have kids. They're going to have grandchildren. They're going to do all the stuff that punctuate our journeys through life they're going to carry on living they're not just going to sit around and wait for this season of life to be over until they can get back to real life they're in a different country they're away from home and they're going to live they're not just going to wait until they go home which is is so good for us here because in 10 years we've met loads of people who come here to wait. But these people are a different country. They're going to, God is saying, live. Don't just exist. But that's not us. So the application then, what's going on here that's true for you and me, is that God loves his people deeply and he wants for them a wonderful, prosperous, and hopeful future. That is what is true for you and me. In Jeremiah 29.11, God's love is going to remain beyond these earthly circumstances that you find yourself in now. These circumstances, this, this season is not going to last forever. God has promised that things are going to be different. There is a hopeful end for God's people. And that's what we want to see, how that looks in our life. What does that look like in our life? God loves his people, he is unchanging in his nature, and so we know he still loves his people and wants a wonderful, prosperous, hopeful future for them. And that is just as true for his people here under Babylonian captivity and for you and for me, us, living in Bahrain in 2022. God loves us and he wants us to have a wonderful, prosperous, hopeful future. So how is that true? What happened in the middle between God's people then and ours now? Even though though we are detached from these people in so many ways, country, culture, language, thousands of years, how is that promise still available to us? A future of hope, a wonderful, prosperous, hopeful future that promise still applies to you and it still applies to me only because of Jesus Christ. And To show you what I mean, I want to think about a couple of passages in particular. We could have gone so many ways. Just a couple of passages. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 gives us this wonderful truth that simply because God is a God of great love. Because he loves people so much, because he loves you, as we read there, with a great love. Because God wants a future for you that is filled with hope. Even though we're not his people in Jeremiah 29:11, he has given you the opportunity by grace alone to have that future that was promised to his people simply because of who he is. Is his unchanging character and nature, even though we read there in Ephesians chapter 2 we were dead in offenses, we were living lives that were patterned by sin, we were deserving, we are deserving of punishment, just like his people in Jeremiah 29 were. Because God is rich in mercy, because of his great love for you, there is still the promise of a future, an end. Filled with hope, and he has, by grace, in kindness towards us, we read, given us the opportunity to be raised up together with him and to be seated together with him in the heavenly realms. So, the promise of a, a hopeful end to be seated together with him in the heavenly realms that future, that promise is still ours, as we read three times there in Christ Jesus. By grace. And through faith, the promises of Jeremiah 29, a hopeful, prosperous future, being reunited with God, being taken back to the place where we should be dwelling with him as his people, being raised up together with him, seated together with him in the heavenly realms, is available to you and to me only now through the death of, the shed blood of, the atoning death, triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same is true. One more example. In Romans chapter 8, we read in Romans chapter 8 that really, really simply, no matter what is going on in your life, whether you're heading into 70 years of Babylonian captivity, no matter what's going on in your earthly life now, none of the sufferings of this present time, maybe your Bible says, No trouble, distress, persecution, famine, whether you've got loads, whether you've got little, nothing can separate us from the love of God and therefore can separate us from the promises that he makes to his deeply loved people. So the promise of God to his people back in Jeremiah 29 of a future filled with hope of The the, the promise of prayers being heard. The promise of worship being received. The promise of an available God. A real and available God in your life. Not some distant deity that you're firing prayers off to and, and hoping that something happens. A real, available God in your life. The promise of being found when he is sought, the promise of original intentions for God and man being restored, dwelling together in right relationship, the promise of forgiveness, of acceptance, of love, of being brought back to where you belong, all of those promises are available to you and to me only through Jesus Christ. Amen? The price for those promises, has been, the price was paid, and therefore those promises are now protected. All the promises of God, we read, are yes and amen in Jesus. We've been given those promises to rely on just as God's people in Jeremiah 29 were. But the price now to protect those promises isn't 70 years In Babylonian captivity. So don't, you're going off into captivity, don't worry. When this is done, when the price has been paid for your disobedience, for your sin, for just not doing what you're told, not living the life that I've laid out before you, when that price has been paid, when the 70 years of you not treating what I've given you properly, if you read about why it was 70 years, when you go, you've paid that price these promises will kick back into action. So the price has been paid and the promise is going to be protected. The price now for you and for me to inherit the promises of God isn't 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Praise God. The price was the life of Jesus. The price was his blood shed for the sins of many. The promise of a life and a future filled with hope for you and for me is protected beyond all. Beyond beyond all, it was just protected <laughs> because it was purchased by Jesus and it doesn't now rest on you and me to uphold those promises, to to, to to earn those promises, to slip, trip, sin, got to go and pay the price. That's The life, the future is protected because it was purchased by Jesus. So if we're quoting, using, sharing Jeremiah 29, if we're signing emails with Jeremiah 29, and we're thinking about how secure we are in Christ, it is so good. Because the promises, the future, the hope, protected with his perfect fulfillment of the holy and righteous law of God, if you're sharing Jeremiah 29 and telling people, "Look, let me tell you how this is true for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the, the hope that I've got for the future, how I know what the end is going to be like for me, a hopeful end. Let me tell you where my hope, my joy for day-by-day day living, let me tell you where it comes from, then Jeremiah 29:11 is so good. And it is so good. Because, just like God's people here, life is really difficult, isn't it? We need the promise that the best is yet to come. Don't get me wrong, love your life, get down to living. Don't just exist and wait for it to be over. Life is difficult. Most, if not all, many of these people in Jeremiah 29, died before this promise came into effect. If you were 30, 40, 50 years old and you've been told, hey, in 70 years we're going to take you back, most of them died before this promise came into effect. Their life was lived out under Babylonian captivity, under the promise that the best is yet to come. You do have a hopeful end, but you need to get down to living in the meantime. They lived out their life in a world that was not their home, in a place where they felt that they didn't belong, knowing, because God has said so, that more is to come. They needed the promise of a hopeful end because life life is difficult. It's difficult for them and in lots of different ways, it can be difficult for us. And we need the promise that something better is coming. There is a future for us. There is hope for us. They had to, to live in difficult circumstances until then, holding on to the certainty that a promise of God brings. And that is exactly the same for you and for me. The difference is that they had to pay the price themselves. They had to pay the price to protect that promise. When your 70 years of captivity, when your punishment is fulfilled, when your punishment is finished, then we're going to restore things. You've got to pay that price yourself. And the difference for you and me is they paid their own price, and for you and for me, Jesus has paid it all. The price has been paid to bring us into permanently this promise and so therefore it is protected beyond all doubt the promises of God protected and purchased and fulfilled in Jesus are so certain that whatever is going on as we read in Romans 8 whatever is going on in your life right now good things, bad things, horrible things nothing can separate you from the love of God and therefore the promises that he makes to his people They don't guarantee us an easy, very cruisy, uninterrupted, unimpeded life. Other passages in Scripture tell us the exact opposite. But when things do get difficult, when life starts happening to you and around you, just like God's people in Jeremiah 29, you and me know. We should know deep down with an unshakable hope that God has a future planned for you. That there is a hopeful end to these circumstances that you're in now, but also for your life, big picture. That promise is secure and it's protected only because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray.